are back after a week off. The Mainland Podcast is back with episode number 53. I am Michael Citro, the managing editor and founder of The Mainland. Joining me is our writer, Andrew Harrison. And uh, Andrew, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm pretty good. It's been, uh, it was nice to have a week off last week. And then we've had some, you know, events that I don't think we're really going to cover because it's you know, one of those things, but I'm ready to get back into it, get back to some football, and uh, hopefully the, pri- the the clubs can do us well. Yes, as we're recording this, we have um, what a 17-day layoff for Orlando City since the May 29th uh, draw, come from behind draw against New York City FC. Been a lot of of uh, downtime for the senior club. Guys went on vacations and, and went to play international matches and things like that, and um you know, we're getting ready to, to welcome everybody back, although probably not everybody on Wednesday for the U.S. Open Cup. It'll probably be, a, you know, a good amount of OCB guys and backups and that kind of thing. Um, so I just want to ask you, you know, the, this during this layoff with with Copa America going on and, and um, you know, Euro 2016 firing up, I mean, is this just like a great summer to, to watch soccer or what? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's really kind of one of those... You know, the Copa is almost, it's been free soccer. They had their tournament last year, so the Centenario has really been that added icing on the cake. And I think the it took a while to get going, but the Copa has really kind of come into its own. And then it's really just been joined by a cracking European championship so far. Um, great cup so- summer of soccer, and then we've still got the Olympics yet to come. Uh, we get a kind of that break where MLS comes back for the summer when it's really the only thing around. And then mm-hmm. we dive straight into all the European leagues again and the Olympics. And really, MLS gets down to crunch time. So it's been a great summer so far. So uh, Copa or Euro? What, what do you like better? I'm a Euro, but that's just because I'm from there. I got more, many more dogs in the fight. And I feel like <laughs> just because this is a free tournament, it means, uh, you know, the Euros are, are never going to kind of do that. This is about this is about the pride of Europe. And I, I think it's, you know, you see so many people not get a chance. And, you know, we see, we may see some outsider win it again this year, which would be really nice. We've seen already some, some upsets and some surprise results. But uh, uh, what do you think? I want to stay with Copa for a second. What do you think of the rumblings we're hearing about maybe doing this you know, sort of as an ongoing thing where there's going to be not just uh, Clone Mayball teams, but also uh, CONCACAF teams and, and keep this sort of format going. Uh, I am personally not a big fan. I think everybody should. There's a reason that confederations exist, and it's about matching those up and getting to play the same teams week in, week out. I understand that the U.S. is kind of wanting better opposition, which should get by, in you know, playing more common ball teams, but... I just don't think this is right. There's a reason that the Copa America has reached 100 years. Um, should leave well alone, I think. The U.S. can develop, develop its own tournament, and I think it really has to concentrate on getting a strong primary league before it starts worrying about itself having to play hard in a national competition you know, every game instead of just running in these friendlies where they knock up a Brazil-Haiti score. <laughs> well, I'll 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 respect your opinion, but I actually like this. I think that it's uh, it's I, I think there's a perception at least that the European uh, sides are are superior, and that um, you know that there's a a little bit of a gap, and that maybe a combined Concacaf and Comebol um, 
you know, entry process into World Cup and that kind of thing might be just what they need to to sort of reach that level, maybe uh, more of an East versus Western Hemisphere kind of thing, even though, you know, the, but, you got the Asian and the African confederations and that kind of thing. But that's the World Cup. <laughs> that's what, like, I, I don't want to take anything away from that. I think all of a sudden you're, you're asking for basically a mini World Cup to prepare those teams for another World Cup. I feel like I understand that's kind of what, that's not what the Euros are. It's not trying to merge anything. That is one confederation. I, I, yeah, but you got to look at the number of teams in that confederation. Is it's it and the number of teams in that confederation versus teams in in Concacaf Conmebol is you know it's probably not that big of a disparity. But you're talking about a lot of Concacaf teams that are these tiny island nations. Yeah. I, um, basically, what you're what what it is is like if you took Euro, you know, if you took UEFA and you added you know, tons and tons of the little tiny islands in there and that are maybe currently playing, um, you know, in the Asian Federation, Confederation, that kind of thing. I just think, I don't, I don't think of it as a mini World Cup. I think of it as a path to qualification and it's, you know, it's a very historic, prestigious tournament. I think it would add a little bit more uh, color and bite to it. And also I think that, you know, I'm not one of those traditionalist guys that thinks that things can never be touched and everything is sacred. I think I think that that can be exciting if you if you make some some changes. So, I mean, that's just my own opinion. That's okay. The world is built <laughs> on great differing opinions. That's right. So, um, did you happen to catch any of the the matches in Orlando? Uh, I was able. No, I was able to watch them on TV. We just got a lot going on that I wasn't able yeah. to make it down there. And I think, I mean, rain for game two. I even if I'd had <laughs> tickets, I wouldn't have been going. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, I was surprised. It was um, the 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 first game I thought was going to be the best game, and it ended up being the worst of the three. And you know, the one I didn't expect a whole lot from was a was quite a game. I, I thought. Uh, you know, uh, Panama Bolivia was a really uh, exciting game. It, you know, the rain probably, um, you know, was a, 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 it wasn't as big a factor as everybody thought, and I think that it, it didn't really um, make the game sloppy or anything. I thought that the pitch held up very well for all three games. There wasn't a lot of slipping or anything like that, uh, which we've seen on some of the other fields. Um, so I think that the guys that did the surface, the, the you know the the men and women that worked on on uh, putting the, the natural grass surface on top of the artificial turf at the Camping World Stadium, did a really great job of maintaining that. And it was really a lot of fun for me to, to see these nations and, and their, you know, the passion of their crowds and, and, and their cultures and all of that mingling before the games and that kind of thing. It was, it was really an exciting time for me. And I thought that the, that the soccer even was a bit secondary to, to, to the spectacle of the whole thing. And I think that's what, you know, it's great that we were able to attract a tournament of this quality because I think that's what, you know, international soccer is played on that level. It's about those cultures coming together and seeing those different styles of football that kind of develop in each country. So I think it was really great that they're able to see it. And, you know, we didn't see any of the events that are happening in the Euros where fans are clashing. These people came to party and have a good time and we were able to come out the other side of that. And that's pretty good. Yeah, in fact, um, it, what's cool is we did our predictions last week, and everybody—I mean, obviously, none of us picked a true dark horse, but all of our teams are still alive that we picked uh, to win the title. I, I had Mexico. I think Daniel had 
Colombia, and I think Austin went with Argentina, maybe. Yep. So, um, you know, obviously none of those are huge, would be huge surprises. But, um, you know, I, I, I played a little homer, went with the CONCACAF team. But, um, you know, suddenly the U.S. is playing pretty well. So that you, they might even have a shot if they can if they can get through their side of the of the bracket. So, uh, which is going to be a tall order, but we'll see what happens. They're getting, um, they're getting there. They've been playing really well. And I think by, you know, Brazil's just complete capitulation at this tournament again made it, <laughs> made it a little easier to at least get to the semifinals, hopefully. Let's talk about Brazil a little bit. Um, Dunga gets fired, obviously. Um, it was an eventful three games for Brazil. The first game, uh, they played Ecuador and drew nil-nil, but they should have lost that game 1-0 on a, on a, on a strange decision by the... Uh, the assistant referee, who was definitely shielded by the goal, decided that the ball was completely over the line. It was, it was not. We've got, we've seen photos all over the internet that are blown up that show clearly that the the ball was still on the line, and that it was a just a horrific goal for Brazil to have given given up. But it didn't count, and they get the draw. But now everybody's talking about the handball goal <laughs> that sent them out, and you know, conveniently forgetting about the the draw that they got when they should have been, you know, down. Uh, they should have been on zero points after the first round. So, um, as it turns out, the teams that finished first and second in the in their group should have finished first and second in their group. So, um, it all worked out that because they had they had the goal they shouldn't have had, and or the goal, uh, yeah, the the goal that shouldn't should have counted didn't, and the goal that shouldn't have counted did, and both of those affected their their point totals uh, in opposite directions. So, um, it was a very eventful. Dunga is out. And that brings me to the point that I really wanted to bring up is that Dunga seemed to be a very big proponent of of having a veteran leader uh, like Kaká come in and be part of the national team program. I don't see that going forward as, as something that a lot of managers will do. And I think that this actually will help Orlando City in the long run because – you know, most I think most managers will move on from a 34-year-old, no matter how legendary they are, and and go with because Brazil is just so so chock full of talent. Uh, do you think that this could be a thing where you know a good thing for Orlando City where they won't lose Kaká as often? I, I think without a doubt. I think that he he even himself acknowledged that he was lucky to kind of get those call-ups and get another chance to play for his his international side. I think. With Dunga on his way out the door for the second time, I don't. And also, that strategy hasn't been working. They haven't gotten back. They haven't recovered from that World Cup summer final loss with that mm-hmm. strategy. They're going to have to try something new. They have some amazing young talent. That doesn't mean I think they're going to completely ostracize all of those old people. Uh, and when I say old, I mean like <laughs> over 26 that are, you know, plying all their trade in Europe's large five leagues. They, they're going to go back to what works, and that's great entertaining football and I think it's going to be done with young talent that's going to play a lot of people off the field and they have to get ready for 2018 and and they can't afford another big stumble and the Olympics um, when they roll around in August will I think really set the national plan up for Brazil for the next decade potentially if they if they really don't win that either yeah it'll be you know uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if Brazil can regroup and get back to to where they should be. They definitely have the talent to do it, but of late, it just can't seem to put all the pieces together properly. And 
And, you know, we, we see a lot of that from time to time around world football. We see teams that, you know, obviously have talent that somehow just can't get it right. And I know, um, you know, England scuffled with that for, for a few years where they had talent and they just couldn't get results and in big tournaments. And, um, you know, they obviously uh, didn't get the result they wanted to start off Euro either. So um, I was going to say, it, it hasn't really changed. <laughs> I feel like we've been in this, this situation for so long now that it, it's just incredible that we we just have a bunch of individual players and no team unity whatsoever. And I think to a certain extent, Brazil has paid that price too by allowing people to leave Brazil at such an early stage. They've not managed to develop that team unity that they were so known for um, Mm -hmm. back in the early 90s, you know, actually all the way from Pele all the way through like the late 90s, which is really when their troubles really started to hit the fan. So who do you see winning uh, Copa and Euro 2016? Um, I'm going with home favorite for Euros. I just think despite France's kind of slow start in the opening game, they will they will put it together. They are going to be able to bring it home. They have a they have so much talent, and France is actually one of those teams that can perform on the big stage. Um, so I'm going with them, and I'm actually going to go with Italy. I think that Italy can make it all the way to the final as well against France. They wouldn't meet um, until then due to the, the positioning and the tables, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go with a France-Italy final, both big tournament teams, and I think they, France will come out on top. Um, Copa, it, it's a toss-up, but I am going with Argentina. I think Messi gets his first title and beats Ronaldo to it um, to firmly <laughs> cement his place at the the head of the queue for their race to the Hall of Fame or whatever you FIFA eventually comes up with. Well, whatever it is, it'll be corrupt and somebody will make millions of dollars <laughs> off of under the table. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, we've got to have something to hold on to, right? Uh, well, you know, soccer is all about tradition, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know who's going to win Euro. I, th- I think um, Italy got a very impressive opening win over Belgium, uh, but I don't think it's anything really uh, – I don't think it's new anything new for Belgium and, and Portugal to sort of uh, disappoint on the, on the, you know, the, the international stage. And, uh, you know, Portugal opened with a 1-1 draw against Iceland today. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, – Portugal and Belgium, very, very talented teams, but for whatever reason, they never seem quite able to put it together. And, you know, uh, I, I think that Italy's got a really good chance. The hosts are very big favorites. I think everybody is picking them pretty much. So because everybody else is picking them, I can't pick them. <laughs> and I'm going to say Germany gets it done. Okay. So um, that's just, uh, you know, Germany just is, they are the machine right now. They're just... Uh, they just look very, very strong to me. So um, that's where I'm going. But uh, and I'll stick with Mexico, even though um, you know their fans can just go hang themselves for that chant. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so Open Cup is this week, and we're we're recording this the night before Orlando City uh, takes on Jacksonville Armada in Jacksonville at Jacksonville University, not at the normal place where Armada play, uh, but in, in a different venue uh it's fairly small i guess they're bringing in some bleachers to accommodate some extra seating but i still still think it's going to be a fairly small crowd on a midweek um and 
you know, obviously it doesn't really behoove us much to talk about the game, considering that by the time this uh, airs, that it will be over. But I wanted to just get your opinion of the U.S. Open Cup and your takes on the U.S. Open Cup in general. Uh, teams always say that they take this seriously. But every team you see just basically plays reserves up until they win a few rounds and then they get sort of serious about it. It's it's almost like um, you know the, the the big teams in England in the FA Cup where they they play guys that never play and then oh once the Premier League teams are playing other Premier League teams then they then they start to get a little more serious and, and play their their normal players a little bit more. Do you think that that is a a sound strategy or do you think that teams are choosing to just say, you know, we're not that interested, but if we, you know, if we make get a couple wins and then, then we'll take it seriously. Is that what is that what they're doing? I think without a doubt, you know, you you're playing for a place in the CONCACAF Champions League to be able to get to that next level where you need to be on the international stage, get that money, something comes from that. But what mm-hmm. you have to realize is that the league is still is despite MLS's love for the game and the growth of soccer in the United States, we're still playing with a league that is balanced on a very fine knife edge. You have Mm -hmm. to get people to come to the games that you play week in, week out to be able to stay afloat. The the cup run is great, but it doesn't have that magic of the FA Cup run where you can have a bunch of people who met in a pub all of a sudden playing Arsenal. (laughs) You kind of do have that here, but it's never going to happen. And I think when... They said, I see two problems with the Open Cup in general. One, I think the geographic region um, limitation continuously means that you always play the same teams. I think Mm -hmm. that very formulaic is not good for the average soccer fan to be like, oh, we're playing the same team again. That's great. Um, I'm going to go see that game. You have to be able to move out of that, get that new competition. And I understand it's all about cost, but I think maybe you should take off that geographic limiter at a certain point um, rather than keep it all the way up to really the almost the semifinals final when it kind of breaks mm-hmm. apart. Um, other thing is I think when they said that you had to play your main team, you basically gave up one of the reasons why you wanted an MLS team to own a USL team. <laughs> you wanted them to develop talent. And then all of a sudden you said, you know what, we're actually not going to give you the ability to play that talent. Um, you're going to have to use your main guys. You're going to have to go for it. You should have had that ability to stick with the USL and, and take the risk. And to be truly honest with you, I would have loved to have seen the Lions take on OCB for that rivalry. Yeah. That's something I would have been okay with. They, w- you know, they wouldn't have gone super hard. Nobody would have wanted to injure anybody else. But I still would have loved to. That would have been a great boost for either side. Like if OCB beat the Lions, all of a sudden it's like, well, should I be playing there? Should I be? You know, I'm. It's great. That's great in the squad competition and have it mean something. Um, until you get the buy-in from everybody, it's still just going to be a, a thing that major MLS sides don't put in their big guys until it really means something to them. Why do you think that these games don't get very good attendance? Do you think it's just because it's midweek? Do you think it's because people don't want to spend money to see 
you know, the reserves play an NASL team or a USL team, or is it a combination of those things? Is it that they don't respect the tournament? Is it all of it? I mean, what do you think it is? I think I think it's a little bit of everything. I think obviously weekend uh, weekday really hurts it. Always is going to. Um, we see that in virtually all sports, unless it's a playoffs or something. Really, attendance is always hurt midweek. It's going to go late. You got kids. You're just not going to do it. Um, I also think it's that people don't understand the tradition of the cup. You know, you're trying to ask somebody to buy into a tournament that is, I can't even remember the first year. Um, it, it's old. And people yeah. aren't, they don't see that. They don't know about it. They don't have that passion and that feeling that, oh my God, this is a, you know, our team once won this. Um, if you could kind of get that mystery and that magic about it, I think you would see more people have a love for it but it's not going to be something that's built overnight and it's not going to be built um by trying to fake it it has to be real yeah i I agree with that part especially because you know i think one of the things that drives um events like this is great stories and i don't think a usl team beating an mls team is a great story Mm -hmm. when the mls team is playing a lot of you know reserves guys that are loaned out and guys that are you know 19, 20, 21 year olds that are loaned out to their B team. Um, that to me isn't the same thing as if, you know, LA Galaxy's playing, you know, Robbie Keane and, and Robbie Rogers and, and, uh, you know, Gio Dos Santos and all those guys. And then they get beat by Orange County Blues. That's not the same thing. Yep. Um, but those are the kinds of moments that really build those tournaments. And that's, that's sort of what the FA Cup has, has going for it is you, every year you see these teams from the lower levels kind of make runs. And, and even when they don't make runs, they might, you know, take a, you know, one of the, one of the minnows might take one of the giants to, to, you know, extra time or whatever, or even kicks, spot kicks. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are the kinds of things that really kind of can, can capture imaginations and, and build excitement over years. And uh, the other thing is it's not on television. Yep. So, you know, you don't have the exposure that the FA, I mean, the FA cup matches are, they're played in England, but we see them here live. Mm-hmm. You know, no nobody watches you know the FA Cup live. Or, I mean, the uh, the U.S. Open Cup live unless they're watching on YouTube. Yep. So, um, you know, that's that's a problem. Why do you think this this uh, there's no coverage of this of this uh, event at all on television? I think once again you haven't got the buy-in. You know, you watch the FA Cup when they do it over here. Yeah, they they don't start with the early rounds. They don't start with until the third round when the big teams enter it. I'm okay with that. They do mm-hmm. start a little earlier in England. I think round two is where they start really getting it onto the BBC and things. Um, but they don't have the buy-in. They don't have that thing. There's no there's no advertising. There's no marketing to be able to get that. And I think also the problem that this tournament has suffered a lot from this year is the U.S. Open Cup doesn't even regulate itself. It says that we're going to be in charge of the rosters, and then <laughs> you lose two teams for picking bad rosters. You can't expect a team that has a very limited budget to go back through six months' worth of results and say, oh my goodness, this player that we just signed, or who turned up because he's moving around the country playing for different teams, once played for, you know... Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we can't play him this round. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they've made it. They've made it. They've already taken away that magic before they've even built it, and that's right. a big thing to recover. You know, 
what happens if you say, okay, we're going to broadcast this game, and then it's like, oh, no, that game actually doesn't exist because that team got pushed out because they didn't play the right requisite player. It's such a hard thing, and I think until you get the networks to buy into it, I think ESPN3 is trying to do that with the, the College Cup and um, NASL, but they're not getting great numbers. People aren't tuning into NASL, so why would they go even lower um, until the big teams come in? Yeah, that's a good point. And, I, you know, it would be so easy to to avoid some of those problems. I mean, the you ask a player, you know, did you play in any matches that were, you know, would make you ineligible? Or are you kept, t- you know, are you, are you cup tied mm-hmm. to another team? They don't necessarily know. Yep. Um, the Villages played a player who turned out to be a, ineligible. They played him in two different matches. Mm-hmm. And they played him against the Craze, and they won that game. And they played him against Charleston, and they they won that game on penalties and then uh, had to forfeit and let Charleston back in. And Charleston then promptly lost to Jacksonville. But, you know, this was a guy who played for a team in South Florida in a qualifying round. And it's, it's entirely probable that the player doesn't realize that a qualifying round counts as being cup-tied for an actual tournament match. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. They should either make those matches not count to, toward being cup-tied, or do a better job with the roster, uh, uh, you know, perusals, because they did come out this year and say, we're going to we're going to have to uh, ratify all of the rosters and, and check them, and they do that, and everybody, they check the, the, the rosters for against the craze, and the player was on it, and he played only the last five minutes, but he still played, and the craze, had they gotten their uh, appeal in, in the, within 24 hours, they would have moved on to play Charleston, mm-hmm. but they didn't get it in. And then Charleston appealed, and of course that's what tipped the craze off. That hey, that guy played against us too, and they don't have those kind of, um, they don't necessarily have those kind of resources. Nope. And they might have guys that don't even work full time for the team. Probably just have regular day jobs, and and here they are expected to know all the rules and and not only know all the rules, but have time to to do all the paperwork and the research and all of that stuff. And it's just not going to happen. And the, le- the you know the the U.S. soccer has to do a better job if you're going to check the rosters and okay them. I mean, you should catch this guy the first time he plays in, you know, and is ineligible. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't let it get to that point where he's playing against Charleston, right? Exactly. And I think you have to realize that also the qualifying rounds, when you go back and look at them, they were almost like seven months before you get to that round. How is yeah. that? That player thinks, oh, wait, I played in 2015 <laughs> for that team. Of course it doesn't count. But then when right. you step up and say... We're going to take care of all of that for you because we have the resources to be able to do that. And then you ultimately disadvantage some teams that potentially could have made a lot more money by even just going up to Charleston and getting that extra gate or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, I personally think the better option would have been to force a replay. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that a replay would have been a, a fair result. And in fact, if they wanted to say, OK, you know what, you're right. You know, you're right, Charleston. Your appeal is approved. They used an illegal player, but that illegal player also played in the previous round. So then you have a playoff between the two teams that both, uh, you know, played against that illegal player. Yep. And at least you have the craze and the Charleston and Charleston battery earning it on the field. One of them has to earn the right to go to the next yep. round, rather than just letting them through. And I think that's right. that's what makes it disingenuous to a certain point like i haven't seen that happen in the fa cup i haven't seen that happen in the champions league i haven't seen that (laughs) happen in (laughs) you know a major even like just a league two like a french 
tournament or mm-hmm. you don't see that that that's amateur hour and you if you want people to take notice you can't run it like an amateur sunday league event was it uh, i want to say champions league but it may have been euro europa league maybe that celtic got to go through after losing because of an eligible ineligible player from a I believe it was a Swedish or Swiss team. I, you know, you're, few years you're ago. probably going back there in history, and I think you might be right. But I, I feel like it was also that he played numerous games. Like I don't think it was just that it was just against them. Maybe I don't know. I don't remember it off the top of my head. But being a Celtic fan, it sticks in my mind that they were eliminated but ended up moving on but um certainly that is a rarity compared to yeah, it was. the early rounds of the fa cup uh, of the u.s open they cup. moved into the champions league after Legia warsaw played an ineligible player in a two-leg game that's it yes 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 all right so uh i'm excited i like the u.s open cup and i i think it's a great competition and I, th- I like the way it sort of forces the managers of these of these teams to think about their lineups and who you know who can go two games in a week and who maybe they have to rest or maybe can come off the bench and play 15 20 minutes if they need to but they have to have them fresh for the weekend um, and I think that Orlando City as long as they're not playing MLS clubs are going to go with a very conservative lineup. Um, which may hurt OCB a little bit, actually. Because, um, I, I mean, the thing is, it all depends on what kind of contract these players are on. And I know that the two teams have the ability to, I believe, loan up up to four players, I think it is. So what you could probably see is guys that are on MLS contracts like Harrison Heath and um, you know potentially a guy like Tyler Turner, although he's uh, probably suspended, I'm guessing, because of the... The, the last yeah. game. Um, but, you know, guys like Connor Donovan, guys like that can play. And, and oh, wow, Chile just scored again while we're doing this. But uh, anyway, um, speaking of great tournaments. Um, so, yeah, you're going to see guys like Harrison Heath, Connor Donovan uh, that are able to come up and play for the team. And, and they might play again, you know, alongside guys like Luke Bowden, who aren't getting a lot of minutes, or maybe even Antonio Nocherino. And also there are limits on international players. So it's interesting to see how the, how they manage, how the coaches manage that. And like, which international players do I play? A Carlos Rivas would be perfect for this because he doesn't, he doesn't play full games really for Orlando city. So you could put him out there for 70 minutes and then still have him as a super sub, you know, on, on the weekend to play San Jose. And uh, that's kind of what I like about it is that little chess match that, that the managers have to play. And on the other hand, you know, the NASL right now, I believe, is on a break, so they don't have to. They can let everything hang out. They don't need to to conserve anybody. Yeah, they, they don't have to concede. They don't have to rest anybody. They've finished their um, spring season, I think, and then are heading into summer, like late July. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, what also means they haven't been playing competitive games. But also, a 17 break, uh, 17 <clears throat> day break on our side, and probably hasn't done us any favors. Um, yeah, so maybe it's a good thing that there's more OCB guys. Uh, play because they've been playing games yeah, and, and i like that chess match too i actually like that, that there is a nationality um limit i like that they've kind of tried to insulate it like that um mm-hmm. i think if they did that in the fa cup for an example you'd see a lot more competitive teams um 
a lot lower league teams make huge runs, and I think that would really help um, the tournament grow back to being even bigger than it was because people would love to see those those competitions um, match up. Um, I, I mm-hmm. like that. I like. I really am going to go with you. It's, the chess match is great. It makes people think about their roster and not just, oh, you know what? He's just languishing in OCB. No, I got to play him. Where does he fit into our system? And it also allows you to see whether or not that person is going to be a fit for you going forward. So you can make those decisions come the off season um, when they really matter. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw Harrison Heath play against New York City FC uh, in a fill-in role. And, you know, he's... He's a guy who can give you some, some spot minutes in MLS, but you, you really have to think, you know, is this a guy who is going to be there for us in two, three years? Is he going to be able to play? Is he ready now? May Are we holding him back? Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kinds of questions that get, get answered in these ty- types of matches. So uh, it'll be fun. And hopefully Orlando City will be able to make a deep run because, uh, you know, as it goes along, uh, a lot of teams, you know, as they start taking them more seriously, uh, we saw it with Orlando City last year. They 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 played better players each time out. You know when they played Columbus, they played a more uh, more normal team. Columbus had played midweek and decided to you know roll the dice and play some backups, and and they got knocked out. So um, you know it's it all kind of comes down to how the schedule sets up and that that plays into it. So there is some luck, and there's also you know how much do you go for it, and it'll be interesting to see how much he goes for it because you know I believe that Adrian Heath. I mean, he said this, so that's why I believe it. But he's he has come out and said that his job, he believes, uh, this year is dependent upon making the playoffs in MLS. So you know he's going to err on the side of, of you know MLS games. So um, can Orlando City make a run? We will we will see. But um, as long as they're in it, we'll of course support them on their way. Yeah, we we got to be in it to win it, and I I like that idea. But I also kind of like that he's acknowledging that. He has to get something done this year. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And because I don't like people, I don't like when people are like, oh, yeah, he's been our coach for forever. He's not going anywhere. No, this yeah. is a game based on results. You have to win to keep the job. Yeah. And I think if, if, you know, if you're realistic and you think coming into a league, it's going to take X number of years to become competitive, you have to know that going in. And I think if it's just Phil Rollins, and Adrian Heath, they go back a ways. They have a, a great, strong relationship. They understand each other. That's one thing. But he has more to answer to than just Phil Rollins. And I don't think that that Flavio, you know, he comes in. He's already got a coach in place. I don't think that he's necessarily, you know, on board with being as patient. I think he's he's a guy who's, I mean, obviously he's Brazilian. He's used to results because in Brazil they get results. Mm-hmm. And, and uh he will pull the trigger a lot faster than, than Phil will. So, um, you know, people that think that, that Adrian Heath is absolutely safe, even if they miss the playoffs, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I think that the plan is working, and I think if they give him time, it will work. But I also think that they, you know, they need to show improvement. And last year they missed by a spot, so they if they show improvement, they're going to make the playoffs, right? Yeah, I think if they can... I think they are improving year on year. That's I think that's how it, the system is built. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also the the you know going into a smaller season or a smaller stadium next season, there is the ability for some fan attrition. So that mm-hmm. if it doesn't work out or we don't make the playoffs for a second year in a row, and coach was to go, okay, people are going to be disheartened. But they also have ten thousand less seats to fill next year. 
that's mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be downhearted on the club. I, they still have to make a marketing effort to get those people on the single game tickets. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the commitment to a coach is really going to necessarily be there when they're not trying to fill a 65,000 seater stadium. Yeah. And, you know, this is a team with a waiting list for season ticket. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a dramatic effect. I think this team wants to sell tickets, but and they they'll certainly. I mean, the stadium alone is going to draw some people next year. But you know, they want results. They wanted. You know, you can't just come into the league all brash with a defy expectations motto and then and then and say, not. oh, it's a, we're going to yeah, and then we're going to be patient. You know, uh, you know, your whole your whole motto says you're not going to be patient. You're going for it. And if it's not working, you're going to make changes. So, I mean, I I've, personally, I, I like Adrian Heath quite a bit. Um, I had you know a number of conversations with him at you know training and 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 seeing him post game and that kind of thing, and even in some social settings. And he's he's a guy that you would like to have around in, in a long time. And I think he'll be successful wherever he goes. But it is an expansion team, and you have to brace for the possibility that you might let a coach go at the end of the year that will come back and bite you. But you know, at the same time, again, you got that defy expectations out there. You have to live up to that and go for it. So, anyway, uh, hopefully he'll just make it a moot point and make the playoffs this year. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, maybe there is a point of moving him upstairs. I'm not talking to like a director of football role, but he has got that level of commitment to the community. Maybe there is that level of fan engagement. Maybe he moves behind the scenes if he isn't successful. You'd have to decide whether or not that's something you could do with whoever came in next if it doesn't work out for him. But what we've also seen is, you know, he could be a great mentor. We've had a lot of people come up through our system that have turned into good coaches. Maybe that's also where he can excel in bringing in the lads in an academy role or a elevated role for OCB in recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. There are other potential positions for him other than head coach, I think, of this football franchise. Sure. Yeah, and, of course, that would be up to, to what Heath, you know, what what Heath wants to do with his career. Does he want to continue to try to be successful in coaching or, or does he want to stay in Orlando? I know he, he likes it here very much. Um, but, you know, show me a coach that hasn't, you know, liked where they've been and, and then got fired and just left and, and took another job immediately. Owen Coyle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Owen didn't last long. Did and I he? think he hated living in Houston. Yeah, well, you know, it's for an overweight, pasty white guy, Houston's not the place to be. It really isn't. <laughs> it's not. Um, so speaking of good coaches and, and the coaching tree in general, at the beginning of the year we were questioning whether or not Anthony Pulis might be in over his head. Uh, it turns out maybe not. Uh, OCB has, over the last several games, uh, even the game that they lost recently uh, to Louisville City when they were up a man, has looked like a completely different team, Andrew. And I think that it is just a matter of, of finally getting that expansion group of players to play the system, to buy in, and to be a, a team. Uh, what are you seeing out of the USL side? Um, I, you know, I, I think I was definitely one of those people that wasn't necessarily rating them. I think we've seen an, an evolution of this team. We've seen an ability to take out the parts that weren't working. We've seen them be able to create a side. But what we've also just really seen is a return um, to the fold for some people, you know, Connor Donovan went and got his goal. You know, we're seeing a lot more from the people that we were expecting for the the, May, the 
the MLS side. So I think having mm-hmm. those pieces come in and be that development franchise, we've been able to piece together a side that's worked and we haven't had to kind of blood them in MLS and, and suffer for it. We've been able to suffer in USL and then grow. And we've really seen that from this team. I think we're still making some stupid mistakes. Uh, Tyler Turner is certainly <laughs> um, on my watch list for that. Um, but we are starting to slowly roll. And for a first-time head coach with really a first-time coaching staff, you know, Rob Valentino, great player, Mm -hmm. but first-time coach, with a lot of young people who are from a lot of different walks of life being asked to play with some people who are making exceedingly a lot more money than they are, um, we've eventually seen it mesh together. And I have to give him hats off to Pulis for making that work. And... Also, I think he's probably stood up to the club a little bit and said, you know what, um, Rochez isn't a good fit here either. Um, I don't necessarily want him to be among my lads, and, and that makes a, a huge difference for this franchise moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Rochez is a, is a he's a disappointing case in that he just doesn't seem like he handled the, the loan the right way. The way you would want him to handle it is to go down and say, all right, I'm going to go down. I'm going to dominate for a few weeks. They're going to call me right back up, and then I'm going to be the super sub off the bench when you know when Kyle Aaron's in the game and it's he's getting tired in the 70th minute. They send me on to take his place, or if we're down a goal, they bring me on to to you know add to him and add to the attack. And 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 you know he's a guy that has enough talent that in three or four USL games he could put up you know five or six goals, mm-hmm. and he just did not handle it that way. And I, I know that. You know, part of it was missing in the entire training camp. He had an injury from his national team that was misdiagnosed and mishandled, and and that took some some time before they straightened it out. And then he had to go through basically all of a preseason while everybody was moving into the season. And that's it's a very very difficult thing. And we saw the same thing with Boxy Yamba, who was let go by the by the club. He he had the same thing where he was behind and everybody had nailed down spots and he wasn't able to find time and he wanted to play. So so he and the club uh, agreed mutually to to move him on and and so he'll go you know have the next adventure in his career. But but for Brian Rochez, it's a very disappointing thing because you really want to see a guy respond in a positive way and he has not done that. He's He's, um, you know, maybe he's got that kind of a, of a personality where he, you know, he loses confidence or something. But really, was it? It was a challenge to him, and he didn't meet that challenge. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that would have killed for that challenge, would have loved that opportunity. And when you see somebody, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be pretty harsh, but throw it back at you. Um, isn't great and i think that makes it really hard to not just be motivated yourself but it makes it really hard to Mm -hmm. motivate those people that you have to step onto the field with and that kind of showed in certain situations because if you know if you pass out that bad vibe of i don't want to be here you know some other people will start thinking that too and oh, i can go get a better opportunity somewhere else no he had a pretty solid opportunity and a chance to take that next step and instead he decided that he just didn't want to and and that hurts everybody and and, but most of all himself right and the beneficiary is Haji Berry who um I believe he had uh three goals and an assist in a two-game span he's really come on I expect that he'll be playing a big part in the early uh rounds of the U.S. Open Cup for Orlando City um but yeah, Ant Pulis has the team playing well. They've they they 
they <laughs> did not look like a competent soccer team at all in the early going. Uh, they've got they've got a solid USL goalie in Mark Ridgers. We found that out pretty early on in that that nil nil draw where they were, were down to ten men and he kept them, uh, you know, earned them a point. And uh, you know now they've got a, a one of the, probably one of the best USL center back pairings with Devron Garcia and Connor Donovan, two guys that the club expects to be in MLS, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, Mikey Ambrose has been, you know, phenomenal on the left side. Tyler Turner, when he keeps his, his emotions in check, has been very good on the right side. Uh, of course, he didn't do that this week <laughs> and put his team at, at great risk in Charleston. They had a, a 2-0 lead in stoppage time of the first half. And he quickly, he basically, he pulled what DeAndre Yedlin did with the U.S. men's national team the other night and got two yellow cards very, very quickly and just completely lost his mind. Um, the second one was ridiculous because not only did he pick up a second yellow and get thrown out to leave his his team to face, uh, you know, to face superior numbers for a whole 45 minutes of the second half, but he did it in the box <laughs> yeah. and gave them a goal, essentially, right before the half, threw them a lifeline in a game that they were really comfortable in. And it was silly. It wasn't even like a foul. He just... The, the guy went down to try to draw a call, didn't get it. You play on, the ref did the right thing, and Turner walks over, gets in his face, and ends up poking the guy in the eye. I don't know if he did actually touch him or if it was an act, but it doesn't really matter. If you, if you confront a player, you're risking a yellow card. So you're already on a yellow, and you're literally seconds from getting to the locker room. So it, just a, a really foolish, foolish play by a young player. Yeah, and I think that's... This is what that franchise is about. It's about breeding that out and seeing if you can. If you can't, then unfortunately, you're probably not going to move forward with this franchise. But mm-hmm. it was a stupid mistake. I think we've seen them from him before. So it's a mm-hmm. little worrying that they're not disappearing out of his game. Um, we can't afford it. We've got enough players that pick up cards without adding another person to our MLS roster. Um it, 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 time will tell whether or not he can work out. I think there are a lot better prospects, like you say. Devron Garcia and Connor Donovan look like a pretty solid partnership. If you mm-hmm. ever run into international card, international slot trouble, like we may do next year, um, <laughs> we've got the ability to really bring those people through, and I think that's really important. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it just looks like Ant's got them playing very well. They 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 know what they're doing. And they're starting to score goals. They're doing a good job of keeping the other team from scoring. And that was a big problem earlier in the year. And uh, especially the scoring. I, I think at one point they had more red cards than they had goals but uh, early in the year. But they have they seem to have, for the most part, settled down. Uh, Turner did get a two-game suspension, by the way, for uh, not just the, the red card but the, the yellow card accumulation. So, um so yeah, he's he's gonna be uh, watching for a little bit, but um, but OCB, you know, good turnaround for them, and you know, it's not too late. They're, I believe, they're eighth in the Eastern Conference, and there's there's no reason why they couldn't uh, couldn't make up a couple more spots playing the way they have been playing, and um, you know, potentially make uh, make a playoff run. Yeah, I, I think they they're more than capable. I was a little worried at the start, but they're really starting to put it all together. And going back to Turner, I think you know the risk with sitting two games is somebody can very easily come along and take your starting spot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he needs to be very careful because, you know, two wrongs don't necessarily make a right, and you may not get that opportunity again. That's the great thing about depth is that, uh, you know, if you make if you make an error, 
you're you might be sitting a while mm-hmm. uh, trying to earn that spot back because the guys behind you are not a, a you know a huge drop off in talent anymore like they were. So uh, you know OCB moving forward will be it'll be a big test for them this weekend against New York Red Bulls too. So that'll be uh, a good barometer to see really how far they've come. They definitely struggled a bit against Louisville, which is a you know really the class of the entire USL now it seems and despite the fact that they had a lead against a 10 man side they they just kind of had a 3 minute span where they you know kind of fell apart and maybe took their took their foot off the throat a little bit and before they knew it they were they were down two goals even though they were up a man so um New York Red Bulls would be another opportunity for them and to, to see if they learned anything from, from playing, you know, the league's better teams. So uh, if you're around, you know, this weekend, if you're not going to Orlando City, you know, you could, you could maybe pop over there to the, to the Titan Soccer Complex and check it out. Um, Orlando Pride, Andrew, uh, having trouble on the road. Yep. <laughs> not scoring goals. I mean, it's one thing when you're not scoring goals because you don't have, you know, Alex Morgan, and then Sarah Hagen leaves the game early. Uh, it's another thing entirely when you got a full, healthy team and you can't score goals. And, you know, they have they've really struggled to score goals on the season uh, on the road. They've, they got one at Portland in a 2-1 loss, and uh, they got one in a 1-0 win at Houston. And besides that, it's been goose eggs all over the place. Why, cannot, why can't this team score on the road? I think because they're still an expansion side. We're asking them to play away from home and you know crowd support is important for expansion franchises we saw that with men's team i think we're seeing that with the women's team you have to be able to have that that void and that atmosphere that kind of sometimes gets you through you know if you concede an early goal away from home it's completely uphill from there. If you concede an early goal at home, sorry, I think I got that wrong, away from home, <laughs> uh, it's uphill from there. If you concede early at home, you've got that crowd that's behind you that keeps singing, that keep getting into it. And I think we're just not feeling it away from home. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hitting panic stations just yet. I think we're still an expansion franchise with a people still learning it, the game, and... We are being asked to switch in and out of teams um, fairly regularly right now. Not that other teams aren't as well, but mm-hmm. we have to finally eventually put something together. Um, and I think we'll come home eventually and be able to make it good on ourselves. But a month-long wasting also isn't really doing them any favors. Yeah, the schedule's been a little bit tough. They've got still... Uh, at the Washington Spirit this Saturday, that's going to be very, very difficult. Washington Spirit, uh, top of the league, and um, you know a very, very good team. But if Orlando can get a result there, they come back not in too bad a shape from the road trip overall. If they they come back with six points out of a possible twelve in a four four straight games on the road uh, situation, that's really, really good. And because they got the next four sitting at home um, between June 23rd and July 16th, uh, they may be missing their stars again for that Chicago game on the 16th, but they should have them for Houston, Portland, and Boston at home. And certainly they should beat Boston at home. Uh, Houston, they have uh, done well against this year. Uh, Portland, you know, is going to be a difficult team no matter where you play them, but playing them at home will probably be a little bit better. Uh, That will take them into the the Rio Olympic break uh, where they would play four out of five on the road 
and then finish up with two at home against Sky Blue FC and FC Kansas City, both of those beatable teams, obviously. So right now it's about treading water and staying in contact, mm-hmm. I think. And then, you know, if you get through those four games and win three of them in those, those, uh, that stretch of four home games, if you win three of those, you're going to be right there in the thick of things. Uh, and then you just got to tread water again a little bit in that four out of five games uh you know, leading up to the to the last two home games, if they can be in contention heading into the last two home games, I think they got a pretty good chance. Yeah, I, I think they they have the ability to keep it all together. We do have some pretty good depth, but I think I expect us to see some pickups in the off season to kind of help with some of our problems that we've been seeing. But you know, I we're still an expansion franchise. I'm not going to lose my head about it too much. They will. <laughs> continue to do what they can i think and 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 time will tell we have a good strong roster but this is what down times build great franchises and we will come out of this probably better than if we just completely ran away with it nobody wants to do that and that's Mm -hmm. not what nwsl or mls is built upon well we have we have rambled quite a bit (laughs) and we still have a we still have a guest a very special guest to get to so why don't we do that right now and uh, we'll take a quick little mini break and uh, we'll be back with our guest right after this joining us on the mainland podcast this week we're very uh, fortunate to have with us orlando city midfielder servando carrasco servando how are you i'm doing well just hanging out here with my puppy watching uh, the u.s open or trying to watch it because there's a there, there's a rain delay so we're just hanging out relaxing <laughs> well, relaxing is is the the key word. I mean, you guys had a a pretty long layoff in the middle of the season, which is unusual. Uh, I want to just start off by asking, you know, a little bit about your your uh, your time off for for Copa America. I know you guys had about a I think about a week, and it looked like from the Instagram videos we saw that you had a, a quite an interesting vacation. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was nice to just get away for a few days. You know, it's just good to recharge and refocus and just come back ready for for the second half of, of the season. Um, you look at those last three weeks in May, and I think we had a lot of games. We had a lot of travel, too. So I think looking back, it was the perfect time to to have that break. And just judging from how practice and training has been in the past two weeks, guys have come back, you know, re- recharged. And that and that was the, the main goal of that break, you know, guys that were injured, guys that were fatigued. And I think now we're all we're all just ready to go. Well, that sounds good because, uh, yeah, the, the team, you know, they pick up some bumps and bruises, and it seems like Orlando City, for, for being um, sponsored by a healthcare care uh, corporation, seems to have more bumps and bruises than most, I think. But um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your position because I think probably defensive midfield is maybe the most underrated position in soccer. I mean, the you know, everybody loves the, the strikers and the goalkeepers and the glory boy center backs and the attacking players. Um, but, you know, defensive midfield, maybe not the sexiest position, but, you know, it, I think it takes a little bit of uh, a different mindset to play that position. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how you approach it and what your what your thoughts are on playing there. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, growing up, uh, most of my favorite players were, were defensive midfielders or, or center backs. You know, guys like Paul Scholes, Xavi Alonso, mm-hmm. Mascherano, Rafa Marquez, Puyol, like the, the, the list goes on and on and I think it's just guys that I that I identified with um you know D-mid is by far my favorite position I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes along with it and I and I kind of embrace that I think it's um 
you know, you're, you're involved on both sides of, of the ball. I mean, you don't really have the luxury to take shortcuts or can, you know, switch off mentally because I think when, when that happens, it's usually the defensive midfielder's fault when, when, when something breaks down. So um, it's a position that I really enjoy. Um, I obviously love to get on, on the ball. And in this system that we play the four two three one. I think the, the defensive midfielders are, are, are very important. So, yeah, I think that with every game, I've gotten more comfortable with, with the responsibility and, and with that position. And, um, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to, to growing more. Now, in, in Adrian Heath's system, obviously, he likes his fullbacks to get forward. What does that do to you as a defensive midfielder, like your responsibilities in terms of if, if Breck goes forward, if, if Rafael Ramos goes forward, where do you slide? What is your What do you see on the field, and, and what are your keys? Yeah, well, obviously, if I'm playing on, on the right side of the defensive midfielder spot, if Rafa pushes forward, which he does do a lot, and he does it really well, I always have to be aware of that space that, that, that he vacates. So if something breaks down, usually teams now play with, with a 10 that kind of plays in, in those soft spots. So, I mean, a guy that you can think about is, is Piatti. So Piatti mm-hmm. is the type of guy who can cheat defensively. So if Rafa pushes in, into his space, and then Piazzi drops into, like, the space that, that he's vacated, the only thing that he's waiting for is, is for that counterattack. So I just have to be aware of that with guys like that, with players like, like that. So when things do, do break down, you kind of just, just have to co- cover that space that, 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 that was left um, by, by the right or, or the left back. Well, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, your – your approach to the the position and, and what it's like to play defensive midfield. Who are some of the guys in, in MLS that you've been that have really tested you and, and given you a hard time as far as opponents are concerned? As far as, as opponents, I'd say the hardest guys to play against would be Javier Morales from from Real Salt Lake, um, Diego Valeri from Portland, uh, Piatti for sure. Uh, let me think who else. But it's it's not only those guys; it's guys that I also watch guys that I want want to play like. Um, you look at a guy like Alonzo from Seattle. That's a guy that I got to play with for, for three years, and that's a guy that I learned a, a lot from, and I think he's still the, the best defensive midfielder in, in this league. So just playing against those guys and playing with them, I think that I've learned a, a lot. And, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of emphasis on that number 10 right now, and there, there is kind of that free-flowing style, so they don't really have that central midfielder spot. They can play wherever. So, yeah, it's definitely hard to defend, but it's a challenge that I definitely look look forward to. Uh, speaking of defensive midfielders, uh, you know, the team has had, uh, you know, has, has brought in uh, Antonio Nocherino this year, and, and, and Antonio is um, he, he's not like a traditional maybe a defensive midfielder, but he's kind of struggled to find his footing with the team this year. And I know that the fans, you know, fans being what we are, we're very, you know, we want instant results and, and we're impatient. Uh, but what? tell us a little bit about what you see in practice from this guy and, you know, what actually he's very good at that, that maybe we don't see and hasn't translated yet to the field. Yeah, look, I, I have huge respect for, for, for Antonio. He's a guy that comes in and works hard and never complains. And, you know, he's he's trying to get back into, into match fitness and, We've, we've seen it before with players. We've seen it with, with Gerard. We've seen it with Beckham. We've seen it with Pirlo. We've seen it with Lampard, guys that, you know, make, make the jump to, to, to the MLS. And, you know, this is a league that's very phys- physically demanding. It's a lot of running. It's a lot of travel, too. So, you know, it kind of takes time for, for those players to, to adapt. And 
I think if, if you give him more, more time, then you're, you're going to see that quality shine through. I mean, this is a guy who's a, who's a very good passer. He's, he's, he's got a very good touch. But I think the, the main thing for him is, is match fitness and, you know, just, just, just um, still competing and just being ready for, for the next opportunity for him. Now, it's a little bit odd because we've, we've recorded this, this week's podcast in two settings. We, we recorded the first part on Tuesday, and then this part with you I'm recording on Thursday. You guys played last night, and you got to play with, with Antonio in the U.S. Open Cup uh, match mm-hmm. against Jacksonville, which was a big one nothing win, and, and uh, the team moves on to the fifth round. What was it like to get back on the field after, after being off for a few weeks and, and playing a different team rather than just against your teammates? Yeah, um, I guess physically the first half was a little demanding for sure. I mean, the last time that we played a, a full 90 was three, three weeks ago. So mm-hmm. it was a hot day and it was hard. Um, but, you know, you, in, in the second half you kind of get that, that second win. So we definitely played a lot better in, in the second half. You know, it's just one of those games where – it's, it's going to be very competitive because for, for them, it's, it's the biggest game of, of the season. And for us, I, I guess it, it was too, but, um, you know, it, it was definitely a difficult game. I thought that our response from not playing for, for three weeks was, was really good. And, look, we, we had some really good moments. I think you, you look back at, at the game and we created a huge uh, goal-scoring opportunity in the first 30 seconds. So mm-hmm. if we put that away, you know, I think the game changes. But – Overall, I think we created some good chances. We had some, some, some good, uh, some, some good play, and I, th- I think it's definitely some, something that we can build off of. Now you've you've uh, gotten a lot of time this year, and and arguably you could be said it could be said you're you're playing your best uh, you know best soccer of your MLS career so far. One of the things that I thought about you know leading up to this interview was I thought that you know probably for the first time you and your wife are in the same city. And I just wonder how much that plays into your, your, um, you know, your, your mental state and, and how much does that help you or, or, and, or relax or does it help you at all? Um, I mean, it definitely does help me. If I didn't say that, she'd probably kill me. Um, <laughs> so, no, yeah, it's, it's just nice to like come back home and have dinner with, with your wife and just go to the movies and things that we haven't been able to do in, in the past six years. And it's just nice to live a normal life and, yeah, I think we we're, we're so fortunate to to be here together, and we're also so 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 grateful. Um, it's nice to go to our games and just see our practice and, and little things like like that. So, yeah, I think I feel more comfortable for sure have, having her here, and you know, just kind of having those those little moments where where we can actually hang out and be husband and and wife because it's kind of hard to do that when when I'm I'm living in Houston and she's living in Portland, or I'm living in Seattle and she's living in in, in Buffalo. So. Finally, it it feels like 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 we're home. So that's definitely nice, nice to say for sure. That's great. Um, you know, speaking of which, you were you served as captain last night in the U.S. Open Cup game, and I believe that that makes you to the first two, the first husband and wife team to captain teams at the top flight <laughs> in this country, maybe anywhere. That's kind of a neat thing. Yeah, I guess I didn't even think about it until you you mentioned it. But yeah, I guess that is pretty neat. <laughs> Uh, so you got, uh, you know, a stretch of games coming up where, you know, it's these are, I mean, every point is vital, obviously. The team has had a lot of draws this year, especially at home. How do you guys approach, I mean, these might have been losses last year because the team was still coming together. How do you approach this next 
series of games and, and say, you know, get get over that hump and get the three points instead of the one point, or maybe if you're behind late, maybe you, you turn a loss into a draw. How do you take yeah. that next step as a team? Well, I think first first and foremost, what those draws show you is that we're a very difficult team to, to beat. Um, you know, there's been games where we're down a goal in the 90th minute and somehow, some, some way, we found a way to, to come back. So I think that speaks to to, to the group. I, I think there's there's a lot of chemistry in, in this group. There's a lot of some camaraderie. And, look, I don't think that just happens by, by chance. Um, we all believe in what, what we're trying to build here. And we have a great opportunity with two home games that, that are coming up. You know, we have a great opportunity when we play Fort Lauderdale too. So it's like we're, we're all focused on these two games that are coming up at, at home. If we can pick up, you know, six, six points at home, that puts us back in the, in, in the top two teams. So, you know, this year it's so close. I mean, you, you look around the league and, and I think we're tied in fifth place with four teams or, or something like that. So I think every goal is, is going to be important. I think every, every point's going to be important. So, yeah, we have a great challenge coming coming up, but we also have two games at home that we have to take advantage of. All right. Well, speaking of those two games coming up, you've got um, you know, San Jose Earthquakes have been a, a team that's been very very difficult to break down. Um, don't know yet. Depending on what happens tonight with the U.S. Men, we will, won't know till uh, after this goes live whether or not Wondolowski's in the lineup or not. But obviously, mm-hmm. Quincy Amarqua is a good player, and um, uh, uh, Matias Perez Garcia is a good player for San Jose, and then of course Giovinco and Michael Bradley possibly for that Toronto game. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to face those guys and what problems they present for the defense? Yeah, I actually played against Quincy in, in college. Uh, he, he went to UC Davis, and I was at Cal. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a handful. I mean, he's one of those guys who works from minute one to, to minute ninety, Sim, similar to Dom to, to Dom Dwyer, and. Mm-hmm that for, for a defensive line is just a, a, a nightmare because you can't check off. I mean, he, he's a guy who's going to look for those loose balls. He, he's a guy that's going to tackle you. So, yeah, he's very dangerous, and I think the, the combination with him and, and Wando is, 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 is a very good one. So if, if they do end, end up playing together, we definitely have, have to be ready for that. And going off of what you were saying, that they're a very difficult team to break down, um, you know, I, I played for Dom in, in Houston. Yeah, his teams are very organized. Um, mm-hmm. they have a really good back, back line. So it's going to be maybe one, one of those games where we have to be patient, where we have to control the tempo and, you know, maybe pass and get it wide and, and bring it back. So um, that's kind of what, what we're working on, you know, just being more patient and, you know, fi- uh, finding that, that final pass in the, in, in the final third. Yeah, and maybe that was a good practice you had uh, against Jacksonville because it looked like they wanted to stay behind the ball and stay organized yeah. and, and maybe wait for a break on the counter. So maybe you got a little bit of taste of what you're going to see Saturday. No, for sure. Um, I, I think it was totally that. In the first half, you know, it was kind of hard to, to break them down. We, we were trying to go wide. We were trying to go wide. And, you know, we, we got a couple crosses here, here and there, but it wasn't until the, the second half that we finally found that, that, that rhythm. And we, 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 were, we were able to play centrally and, and then wide. So I think if we can do that against uh, San, San Jose on Saturday, we, we should be very, very successful. All right, Servando, before I let you go, I, I got to talk about this a little bit. You're – your vacation videos with you guys oh, creating these these crazy golf videos and and the yeah. the one where you the one where you kick the ball up and Brett chests it down and and Bendik hits it <laughs> with the golf club. How did you guys think of that stuff? It was funny. I mean, we all 
just woke up. We we were having breakfast. It was about I don't know eight eight thirty nine, and we were just I don't know just hang, hanging around watching TV or whatever. And then we we had the golf clubs out, so we started playing golf. We just like chipped a, a couple balls in, into the pool, and then slowly we got the soccer ball involved, and slowly we got you know the tennis racket involved. So it was just like yeah, it's something that just turned into from like trick shots to then playing sixty yard diagonal balls to to the beach, and yeah, it was it was actually pretty fun. Well, it looked it looked a lot of fun, and um, we did a poll. We did, we did a little story on the site about the, uh, you know, how you spent your Copa vacation, and and I think most of the people um, said they'd rather spend it with you guys uh, hanging out <laughs> creating sports. So, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. uh, Carrasco, midfielder for Orlando City. Thank you so much for being with us on the Mainland Podcast, and you know we wish you nothing but the best of luck throughout the rest of the season. Thank you so much, guys, and I'll see you on Saturday. Well, that'll just about do it for another edition, uh, episode number 53, in fact, of the Mainland Podcast. I want to thank our guest, Servando Carrasco, defensive midfielder for Orlando City, for being with us on uh, the show this week. And, uh, of course, thank you to Orlando City for, for making a player available to us. We appreciate that. We always uh, enjoy talking to the guys and uh, getting their perspective on things. Andrew, before we get out of here, big game coming back to MLS play this weekend. Uh Home against San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, what's your key matchup, and uh, what's your final score prediction? So uh, it's it's going to be interesting. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of emotion um, at Saturday night's game. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be one for a little bit of everybody. I I, I think it'll it will be a hard fought contest. Um, I got to say, wing backs against. The, for Tyalashi, I still really rate him. Um, I think he's having a great season, and they just have such a strong, powerful midfield. And I think if our wingbacks don't have the ability to recover, and I think Ramos will be back for this game, so I'm expecting Shea Ramos um, to line up in those positions. Um, I think they're really going to have a hard time, and if they overpower us there in that position, I expect them to be able to really have a lot of shots on goal and and really make it difficult for us and we may see you know I'm pretty sure you know Sherrod probably will get the start due to um Wondolowski's unavailability um mm-hmm. so it it will be interesting I I'm going to go wing backs against the defense and I I I can't see Orlando not winning this game with what Saturday will mean to the city um so I'm going 3-1, and I expect it to be a very powerful game um, from us. Yeah, with the events that transpired uh, over the weekend, we you know we we have purposely steered clear of the topic, um, just you know out of respect for everybody involved. Um, it's been it's been talked about by by people who are much more um, appropriate and much more uh, capable. You know, capable exactly of, of talking about it than we are so uh we've purposely let that go but it will be a very emotional uh, night on uh, saturday night at uh, camping world stadium when um, san jose comes to town my my key matchup see there's two ways it can go too when it's that emotional is is you can the emotions can overcome you or you can channel them and hopefully orlando city will will channel those the right way and ride those to a a big win i think for me the key matchup is that the earthquakes don't give up a lot of goals. So it's going to be the Orlando City attack force 
meaning those attacking midfielders and Kyle Lahren up top, uh, to to break them down and be able to score goals because they don't give up a lot of goals and it's going to be important to uh, to you know especially hopefully get an early goal and kind of you know shake them up a bit maybe uh, get them doubting themselves uh, test their metal so to speak so that's my key matchup I think that I think that Kyle Aaron has to score a goal and then maybe another one from Kaká or or Kevin Molino who's who's been fantastic this year Kevin Molino. Uh, as our Jeff Milby wrote this week, uh, potentially the the favorite for comeback player of the year. Um, as far as a, a final prediction, I'm going to say 2-1 to Orlando City. I think it's a good effort by the lads, and I think maybe they get a late one and, and hopefully uh, you know make San Jose wilt down the stretch and, and use that heat and humidity of Orlando to their advantage and, and get the late uh, winner and uh, send everybody home happy and and, you know, give the, the city a cathartic win. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, did you give me a final score? Yeah, 3-1. I, I didn't give you scores. Okay. Uh, okay. I think Laren kind of keeps going. Um, Molino. And I, I, I think we get something off a set piece this week, and I'm probably going to go with a set Pines header. Um, huh. okay. I think we can kind of get back to it, but, you know, Kaká has to stop kicking the ball out of bounds on corners. Uh, <laughs> you're getting paid way too much, my friend, to keep doing that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, too, um, how well-rested the Brazilian is uh, coming back from his injury, uh, you know, with the with the Brazilian national side, a, a muscle strain, and and uh, how much work he was able to do. I, I know that when he comes back fresh, he's usually uh, very good at putting the ball where he wants to, so uh, that, will be, that will be a key if he's... If he's able to to play and to contribute in that manner, then uh, you know that the team is much better when it can get something off a set piece. Mm-hmm. So that will do it for episode 53 of the Mainland Podcast. And boy, did we talk your ear off this week! But uh, I think it was good. I think it was a good show, good conversation. And uh, with you, Andrew, it's always uh, it's always a pleasure to to talk soccer and to talk Orlando City soccer, and in this particular instance, to talk international soccer. And uh, of course, thanks again to our guest Servando Carrasco. Always great to have uh, to have you know professional soccer player on your podcast. Always mm-hmm. <laughs> good. All right, so Andrew, uh, on your behalf, uh, thank you very much uh, for being with me this week. And this is Michael Citro signing off, episode fifty-three, saying, "Go City." <laughs> <laughs>